Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Countryside. How are you guys doing today on this Palm Sunday? It's so good to see you. Thank God we live in such a beautiful state in Florida where the weather is so nice. Palm Sunday, in case you guys don't know, is the day that Jesus was riding in on a donkey in his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. People were praising him, laying down their coats and palms. But what they didn't know is that in a few days, those same people that were praising Jesus were actually the ones that were going to be calling for his death. But thank God that he was willing to sacrifice his life for us. So that's what we celebrate today. Can we give it up for Jesus, his entry into Jerusalem and what he's done for us? My name is Pastor Marcelo. I'm the middle school pastor here at Countryside. We've got our middle schoolers up there. Can we give them a round of applause? What's up, guys? Thank you guys for being here. We got a lot of them today. Praise God. I'm also the online pastor, so I want to give a few shout-outs to our online family who are watching with us right now. Can we give it up for Sarah in California? And also Ken in Clearwater. We love you guys. Wherever you're watching, you're part of our family, and we love you so much. Guys, we are in a series called Undefeated. We're looking at how Jesus is undefeated in every single battle that he's been in. He's overcome the world. He sacrificed his life on our behalf. In that last song, he is our champion. That is who he is. And we saw how Jesus was undefeated in Peter's life last week. Peter was the disciple who was kind of emotional, kind of abrasive, kind of lashed out in anger. He was the guy who actually said, Jesus, I would die for you. And Jesus says, listen, by the time the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times that you even know who I am. He's like, no, surely that will never happen. Jesus, I am willing to die for you. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Well, guess what happens? Jesus is arrested, and a servant girl comes up to him and says, you were with Jesus, right? Peter denies it. Three times this happened, and the rooster crowed. But you see, Jesus didn't just leave Peter there. What happened is Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross, rose on the third day, appeared to thousands of people, and ended up cooking his disciples' breakfast, which is pretty funny. I'd like to try Jesus' breakfast myself. And uh, they, Jesus gets his disciples there, and he tells Peter, listen, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. Do you love me? And Peter became the rock that Jesus built his church on. You see, no matter where we start in our life, Jesus transforms us into the calling that he has for us. And this week, we're looking at a different person in the Bible who is John the Apostle. Now, it's not John the Baptist. is actually one of the disciples or followers of Jesus named John. And I'm excited to talk about John because his gospel, the gospel of John, is what impacted my life so much. When I first became a Christian, I said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what, how to read the Bible. Where do I start? And my youth pastor said, start in the gospel of John. So that's where I started. I began to follow Jesus the way that John followed Jesus, seeing all the amazing things he did, and it deepened my faith so much. Actually, my favorite verse in the whole Bible, one day I was really distraught. I, I had just messed up and made a mistake. I'm like, man, I'm just falling back into the old person I used to be. And I threw my Bible open and opened up to John chapter 10. And I read the verse that said, you are in the palm of God's hand, and there's no evil that can snatch you away. And that has become my life verse. So today I'm very excited to talk about John's transformation, this apostle, this young guy. So our title for today's message, if it's in your notes, you can grab them out right now. If you're watching online, it's going to be in the chat. The title for today's message is From Pursuing Above to Living in Love. From Pursuing Above to Living in Love. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we pray in today's service?
Lord Jesus, thank you that your presence is right here in this room. Thank you that you are drawing people home today. Lord Jesus, I ask you would speak through me as your vessel. Fill me with your spirit. Anoint my mouth. And I ask you would prepare every single heart in this place to receive from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I got a question for you guys. Who would you trust to take care of your mom or another important woman figure in your life? Before you answer that question, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you a few pictures of some of our pastors as little kids with their moms. And what I need you guys to do is shout out who you think that pastor is. Does that sound good? All right, so let's throw the first one up there. Who do we got there? Pastor Andrew, that's correct. Let's, let's see the next one. Who we got? Ooh, who's this one? Women. I'm going to give you guys a hint. Pastor Kelly, that is correct. That's her and her twin sister and her mom. We throw the next one up there. Ooh, who's that? Who's that little baby? That's Missy Lane. That's correct. Let's see the next one. Ooh, who's that guy? Boom, you got it, man. Y'all are quick, man. You look so handsome. Look at you, man. Let's see the next one. Oh, who's that cute little baby? Pastor Elena is correct. That's our worship pastor. I know. And the next one, who's that guy right there on the right? He looks just like his son. That's Pastor Tim. That's correct. That's him right there and his mom. And now we can throw the last one up there. Boom. You got it, bro. You're the man, dude. How'd you know? That's me and that's my mom. So this woman is the second most important woman to my life, right behind my wife, Danica, and she means the world to me. She's actually here today uh, supporting me. But see, my mom grew up in a really tough background. She grew up very poor in the projects, had to work for every, sing every single thing that she had. She had to put in the hours at work. She actually brought us here to Countryside Christian Church when I was a kid, and we were here Every single day, the doors were open. I'm so thankful to her for everything that she's done, even though being a single mom for a lot of my life, being able to provide for me and my sister, and plugging us into the church, sharing about who Jesus is, it has meant the world to me, and she's super, super important to me. But what I want to take a look at is the fact that who would we trust to take care of our mom? If we knew we were going to pass away, who would we trust with such an important person in our life? Would we trust someone who wanted to burn their enemies with fire? Would we trust someone who's super competitive, constantly pushing people down to get to the top? I probably wouldn't. But you see, the apostle John was exactly that guy. And we see in John chapter 19, verse 25 through 27, Jesus is hanging on the cross and he looks at his mother, Mary. He says, behold your mother to disciple John. What he's saying is, John, I need you to take care of my mom because I'm not gonna be able to do it because he was on that cross sacrificing his life for you and for me. And John became the caretaker of Jesus' mother. Jesus trusted John. But you see, John was this guy, he's not John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, he was a follower of Jesus, and he was believed to be the youngest disciple. Now, we know that the disciples were all under the age of 20, except for Peter. Peter and Jesus were the only ones above the age of 20 out of the 12, and John is believed to be the youngest. Scholars believe that he was probably around 15 or 16 years old, if you can believe that. 
So he also had a brother named James who also was a disciple. And they were sons of a guy named Zebedee. Before they knew Jesus, they were both fishermen. And he wrote five New Testament books. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He wrote the book of Revelation as well at the end of your Bible. Something funny about John is he makes sure to put in his gospel the fact that he outran Peter to the tomb when Jesus rose to life again. And John was known as the disciple of love. But that wasn't who John was the entire time. You see, when Jesus met John, he was pretty rough around the edges. He wasn't the guy that we see writing all these books and following Jesus. But thank God that Jesus doesn't leave us the way that he found us. Is anyone here thankful that Jesus didn't leave you the way that he found you? You see, that's what Jesus does. This is what I love about Jesus is he specializes in transforming us. He doesn't leave us the same. He gives us a brand new heart. He makes us a brand new person when we follow him and spend time with him. But before we get into John's transformation and what that looked like, what I want us to do is take a moment to just reflect on ourselves to ask ourselves a question, to see if we can identify with John even just a little bit because the Bible is made up of regular people just like you and me. So ask yourself this question. This is also in your notes. What is your default reaction when you are wronged? What is your default when you are wrong. I see a lot of people, what we do is we have like a default. We have like a go-to. Some people tend to shut down. Some people tend to say, you know what? I, I'm, I'm offended. I'm wrong. I'm just going to not say anything. I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to get by myself. I'm going to lock the door. I'm going to give this person the silent treatment. The next thing that people tend to do is they tend to lash out. That's another option. They start going on social media and, and posting about people, calling them out, yelling at people, that type of thing. When that person cuts you off on US 19, they tend to throw something out the window or something like that. These people tend to lash out. I see some nudging on, on shoulders there for that one. And I think the scariest kind is the people who plot and plan their vengeance. Those people say, oh, you wronged me. I'm going to get you at the proper time. I'm going to wait till my opportunity is perfect. I am going to get you back. You see, the first point in your notes, John's default solution to being wronged was judgment, not mercy. This was John's default reaction, judgment and not mercy. So we see this in Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through 56. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? <laughs> what? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Think about this for a second. This, these villagers were like, no, we don't want Jesus being here. You know, Samaritans and Jewish people didn't really get along that time. And John's like, we could just like call fire down from heaven, right? Just destroy all those people. Problem solved, right? Doesn't that seem a little bit extreme? I know we heard last week about how Peter was kind of emotional and he took his sword out and lashed someone's ear off who was arresting Jesus. But John wanted to call down fire from heaven and destroy an entire village of people. Jesus, what kind of guys are you hanging out with? 
You see, John was annoyed. He felt wronged by these people. He felt offended by these people, and he reacted harshly. But sometimes we can do this too. When I was in high school, uh, I had someone in my high school, I don't, or actually I do know who it was, someone in my high school created a fake Twitter account for our principal impersonating her. And in this fake Twitter account, they would act as if they were the principal, they'd tweet funny things, they'd make fun of people, they'd just do stupid things online. And one day I'm sitting in class and guys, I'm gonna be honest, I was not the best student, so I can understand why I, I might have been uh, accused of this. Um, but one day I'm sitting in class and the, prince, the vice principal walks in and he said, hey, I need you to come to the office. I'm like, all right, so I'm walking to the office and as I'm walking to the office, I'm trying to, I'm like racking my brain, what did I do this time? Like, I can't think of it, you know, was it this, was it that? I'm like, and honestly, I'm like, there's nothing I can think of. You know, maybe they're bringing me into the office so I can get a good referral or like I can be the student of the month or something. Like maybe they're gonna put a picture of me in the cafeteria. I don't know why I'm going to the office. But I get to his office and he sits down and he says, listen, we know you are the one who made the fake Twitter account for the principal. And in that moment, I was so upset. I was being accused of something that I didn't do. He's like, listen, I don't care what you say. We know that it was you. Just admit to it right now. I'm like, I promise you it was not me. I was not the person who did that. And in that moment, I want to call down fire from heaven. I want to storm out of the office. I wanted to lash out. I want to do all of the above. But no shame in this. You know what I did? I said, listen, if I can find out for you who created that account, will you let me off the hook? He said, sure. So I texted everybody I knew, I called people, and I found out who it was, and I told the vice principal, and guess what? That student got expelled. I was like, thank God it wasn't me. It's my senior year. I, I gotta graduate. I can't, I can't be getting expelled. You see, <laughs> whew, it was a close one. You see, we don't like to be wronged. We don't like to be accused. We don't like to be taken advantage of. We tend to shut down. We tend to lash out. We tend to seek vengeance. But that's not what Jesus does. Let's look at Jesus' reaction. Jesus rebuked them. He said, no, we're not gonna call down fire from heaven on these people because they didn't want me in their village. Why did he rebuke them? Because in your notes, Jesus came to rescue, not condemn. Jesus came to rescue and not condemn. We see Jesus' mission in John chapter three, verse 17. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I need somebody to hear that today. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You know, growing up in church, you know, I, I heard about Jesus, but what I felt is I thought that God was mad at me. I thought basically like God is upset, you know, I'm, I'm living against his law and basically I have to stop sinning or else he's gonna throw me in hell. And it made me afraid of God. It made me afraid to go to church, afraid to reach out and help because of the fact that God was angry at me. But then I found out on youth, at youth camp one summer that that wasn't the case at all. That Jesus loved me, that he wasn't mad at me, but he loved me enough to hold up my end of the bargain to hold up your end of the bargain. You see, Jesus came to this earth to save the world. How did he do that? He did that by living the perfect life on your behalf, by following the laws, by following the rules, by living and serving other people. And then he sacrificed himself on the cross 
for your sins and for my sins. You see, Jesus came to save me, not to condemn me. Jesus came to save you and not to condemn you. If it was up to John, John would have burned me up in fire in a second. But Jesus didn't do that. He sought me after with his love. And we see this in Romans chapter two, verse four, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness that leads us to turn away from our sin. You see, while John's default reaction to being wronged was to condemn other people, call down fire from heaven, Jesus' reaction was to rescue, not to condemn, to hold up their end of the bargain and live the perfect life for them. Point two in your notes. John's view of success was to be higher than others. We see this in Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 37. It says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, and listen to this, this is pretty funny. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. What a great way to start off a question, right? We want you to do something for me, whatever we ask. They were, whatever we ask, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. See, what John and James were asking here is they're, listen, they're like, listen, Jesus, when you go to heaven, when you set up your kingdom, we would like the most honorable seats out of anyone in eternity, right at your right hand and right at your left hand. Basically, what John wanted is like, I want to be the top dog. man. I want to sit next to Jesus. I want to be ahead of everybody. Mind you, this is the youngest disciple. He's like, man, I'm trying to be number one. And right before this, we see another aspect of John's character when he first started following Jesus is there were some other people who were casting out demons in Jesus' name. And, J- and John goes to Jesus, he's like, Jesus, these guys are casting out demons in your name. Want me to go tell them to stop? He's like, they're not part of our crowd. They're not with us. They can't, they can't do that. They don't know you like we know you. See, J- John was exclusive. He's like, listen, if they're not with us, I want nothing to do with them. If they're not for us, let's call fire down from heaven on them. You see, John's reaction was, I deserve this. I deserve the right hand of God. I deserve to sit with Jesus. I followed Jesus all these years. I I gave my life to him. Like, I deserve to be higher than other people. Sometimes we can fall into this trap too. I remember when I started working at an insurance agency uh, at the age of 18 years old, I had just gotten married and I needed some money because living out of your parents' house is not cheap, that's for sure. So I'm like, man, I need to provide. Like, I gotta, I gotta, we gotta get a house. We gotta have groceries. We gotta have food. One thing I found out is, like, when you move out, like, you have to buy everything. You gotta buy dishes. You gotta buy forks. You gotta buy a garbage can. You gotta buy anything you can think of. I didn't realize this. I'm like, man, I need some money. So I got this job, and it started out with good intentions. I'm like, I'm just here to make a living. I'm just here to, to provide for my family. But then little by little, it was a sales job. So it's very intense. And if you're not careful, sales job can tend to take over your life. So there's a point where I'm working so hard, I'm putting in these hours, I'm making these calls, I'm presenting to these business owners, and all of a sudden I feel this, this pride start to seep in, thinking, man, I deserve this. 
I deserve this money, you know? I deserve to get out of this cubicle and get that corner office over there. I deserve this recognition from my employer. You see, my heart was in the wrong place. And this is what John thought too. But thank God that Jesus didn't leave me where I was. It was something I had to battle. Say, you know what? I'm not here to better myself. I'm not here to step on people to get to the top. I'm here to provide for my family and to honor God. And thank God that's what I did. You see, John wanted to get ahead of people at the expense of others. And sometimes we can fall into this trap too of, I deserve this. I've been putting in this work. I've been putting in this hours. I deserve to be ahead. But Jesus' approach to getting ahead is completely different. In your notes, the greatest in God's kingdom is the servant of all. The greatest in God's kingdom is the servant of all. Mark chapter nine, verse 33 through 35, it says, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Apparently, the disciples got into an argument on their way, but they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must become the very last and the servant of all. Anyone who wants to be first must become the last and the servant of all. You see, this life here on earth may seem like a long time, but it is so small in the expanse of eternity. And if you believe in Jesus, this life is not all there is for you. You have an eternity in God's kingdom forever. And in God's kingdom, it's not about how you can get to the top, what you can do to earn or deserve a, a good position in the kingdom of God. He says you must become the very last if you want to be first in the kingdom of God. You must become the servant of all. Put others' needs above your own needs. The world's view is completely different. The world's view is you got to earn your, your stripes. you got to deserve what you have coming to you. But Jesus says, no, promote other people. Put their needs above yourself, and you will become the greatest. You see, when we focus on ourselves in this way, and we try to earn God's love, try to deserve God's love, try to earn things in work, the worst thing about that is that we miss the needs of the people around us. You see, one person who I look up to so much is, She's watching online right now. She's one of our leaders in youth. It's Miss Karen Wills. And Miss Karen Wills is not what we call her in youth. We call her Mama K, because that's what she is. She is our mama. She loves the students so much. She, she loves Danica and I, she says, as her very own. She's an amazing leader. She's always there for our students. But then the COVID pandemic happened, and she had to take a step away because she was in an at-risk group. But you think, the thing with Mama Kay is she didn't just step away and say, okay, you guys go do your thing in youth ministry. She said, is there any way that I can help? I know I can't be there physically with you guys right now, but is there anything that I can do to help you guys out? I said, you know, we've got first-time students that come every single week to Wednesday night, and we need someone to call them. So immediately she jumped on it. Yep, I'm gonna do that. Send me them every week. So every single week, every Wednesday, every Sunday morning, on Wednesday, we have like 20 to 25 first-time students that come every single Wednesday. And what she does is she takes her time out of her day to sit there and call every single one of them personally, reach out to their parents, give them more information about our youth group. And we've seen our youth group grow immensely because of her work in reaching out to these first-time students. It's just, that was her heart. That's what she wanted to do. She came to serve, not to be served. That's what Jesus came to do. 
You see, there are people around us everywhere. We can kind of put our blinders on and not see it, but there are people around us everywhere who are going through some of the most difficult things that they've ever ever been through in their whole life. Maybe it's a financial struggle or a divorce or a sickness in the family. But you know what the Bible says? We see Jesus' life. What did he do for the sick and the hurting? He loved them and he healed them. Well, the Bible says that we are the hands and feet of Jesus now. Jesus isn't physically walking around this earth geographically, going from town to town, healing the sick. Instead, we have something better. He said, what could be better than that? Well, the fact that Jesus left us his Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit dwells in every single person who believes in Jesus. From the moment they believe, they receive the Holy Spirit, and now you become a representative of Jesus here on this earth. And every person that you come in contact with, you might be the only Jesus that they see to be there for them, to love them, and to serve them. And Jesus has entrusted the people around us for us. They're our responsibility. We are the hands and feet of Jesus, and he's entrusted them to us. So what are we gonna do with that responsibility? Let's not follow John's way of promoting ourselves above others. Let's follow Jesus' way of promoting others and lifting them up. You see, Jesus rebuked John when he tried to call down fire from heaven, and Jesus showed him that to be the greatest in heaven, you must become the servant of all. All along the way in John's life of following Jesus, Jesus is showing him a different way to live. And that way is the way of love. Number three in your notes, Jesus' purpose for John was a life of love. A life of love. John chapter 15, verse 12, my command is this, this is Jesus speaking, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. You see, love is an action. Love is something that you do. Love is not just something that you feel. And I can remember when me and my wife Danica were dating, we're sitting in my kitchen, or we're, we're dancing around in my kitchen one day. We got some music going. We're just messing around, having fun. And I noticed that she didn't know how to do this really cool dance move that was like the rave at that time. So I started kind of poking fun at her. And I'm like, you can't even, you can't do the whip. She's trying to like go like this. I'm like, that's not how you do that dance move. It's just, it's just not. So she turns away from me in anger. She walks away, and she was wearing overalls. And I remember I grabbed the back of her overalls. I turned her towards me, and I said, I love you even though you don't know how to whip. <laughs> and that was the first time that I told my wife I loved her. But you see, what she did is when I told her I loved her, immediately I thought, I just messed up. She tur- her eyes get wide. She turns away from me and goes to a different room. I'm like, oh my goodness, what did I just do? Well, thankfully, she didn't leave me. She stayed with me. Uh, even though my premature I love you came out of saying you can't whip. And we actually had a conversation. We sat and we had long conversations like you do when you're dating. And uh, we thought like, man, what is love? You know, I I feel these emotions of love for you, but I don't want to say I love you if it's not the truth. Like, what is love? So we actually opened up the Bible and we saw, what did God say love was? Well, God is love. And the Bible says that we can know what love is based on what Jesus has done for us by loving other people. Greater love has no one than this than someone to lay down their life for their friend. See, love is an action. And Jesus showed us what love was by serving his disciples. The night before he was about to die for their sins, he sat down and he washed all of their feet and he gave his life for them. And he was showing John, John, this is how I want you to love. So let's look at this transformation of John 
See, after following Jesus, John took this to heart. He became the beloved disciple. If you read the Gospel of John, you see in John, he's known as the beloved disciple. He talks more about love than anyone in the New Testament. And he became such a disciple of love that Jesus trusted him with his own mother hanging on the cross. See, back then, he had to take full responsibility for, uh, for Mary, Jesus' mother. I know it's tax season right now. He got a dependent without the tax credit. He had to take care of her for the rest of his life, but Jesus trusted him because he became a disciple of love. And tradition says, according to Adam Clark, written in the 380s AD, tradition says that the apostle John continued preaching even when so enfeebled with age that he had to be carried into the assembly. And he wasn't able to deliver any long messages, so it was his custom to say in every meeting, my dear children, love one another. My dear children, love one another. If you want to know love, you need to know God in your notes. If you want to know love, you need to know God. This is what that young, abrasive, calling fire down from heaven disciple writes in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. John got the message. John received the transformation, the transformation that can only come through relationship with Jesus Christ. I know that personally. Following Jesus will change the way you live It'll change your natural inclinations. It'll change your triggers. It'll give you the power and the desire to do what God has called you to do. It doesn't matter what people have said about you in the past. It doesn't matter what your father or mother has said about you. Or it doesn't matter if someone says you're gonna be just like your father, your mother, your grandfather, your grandmother, because Jesus, when you have a relationship with him, when you draw close to him, he draws close to you. And as we sang in that last song, Jesus is undefeated every single time. That same power that transformed John is available to all of us. The same power that transformed him from a prideful kid who wanted to burn an entire city of people alive into the disciple of love that Jesus trusted his own mother with is available to every single one of us. I want you guys to imagine for a second. Imagine if every person here in this room trusted Jesus to transform them the same way he transformed John. What would this church look like? How many people would be fed at Helping Hands every week? How many students would come to know Jesus every single week? How many nursery kids, how many people would be filled in this place today? What would your families look like if you allowed Jesus to transform you? Who would you reach out to and love? What would the community of Clearwater look like? You see, that reality that you just imagined is available to you. It's not some far off thing. It's available to you and it's available to your family because Jesus is undefeated. When we invite him into the ring, he will always win. Let's trust him to be our champion. Invite him into your life. Spend time with him every single day. Love others, serve others. And the next time we're wronged, let's react the way Jesus reacted in love. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we pray out today? Lord Jesus, thank you that you are here with us today, God. 
Thank you that you are in the business of transforming lives, God. It's not based on anything we can do. The world may not understand it, God, but we know that you are the only one who can transform us from the inside out. Your word says that once we believe in you, we gain the power and the desire to do what pleases you. It's not based on what we can do, what we can earn, what we can deserve. I ask you to show your people that today, that you are not mad at them, that you are there for them, that you came to rescue and not to condemn. You came to live the perfect life on their behalf, and all they have to do is believe in you. That's the gospel, that's who you are. God, thank you for revealing that to me and thank you for revealing that to so many people here in this room right now. The Bible says in Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God wants to give you a new heart today. So with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, if you're in here today and you say, you know what? I'm ready to receive Jesus. I want that new heart. I want that new life. I want to serve God. I want to be forgiven of my sins, and I want to spend eternity with God forever in heaven. It's available to you. What I want you to do, with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, raise your hand on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Raise it up high. There's hands all over this room. Keep it raised. Amen. 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 This room is filled with hands. You guys can put them down. For the sake of those people who are making the best decision they will ever make in their entire life, would everyone here please repeat this prayer for me? Everybody say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins and thank you for dying for me. Please help me to live for you from here on out. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give it up for God, everybody? The Bible says that the angels are rejoicing in heaven right now. Amen. What a great word from Pastor Marcelo. So much to take, so much meat on the bones that were there today for us to take with us. I tell you, it was, what a romantic moment that was in his message, where we got to hear that he looked at his future wife and said, I love you, even though you don't know the whip. Lord, help this young man to express love better. But you know, what I, what I also thought was, I know a lot of you are thinking the same thing. You know, when I think of the whip, I'm thinking of like Indiana Jones. That's my whip. So how many would like to see what the real whip is? Real quick, before we go. All right, Marcelo, you know what that is? Yeah. All right. You want to do it with me? No, I'm not going to do it with you. No. All right, I'll give it a shot. All right, all right. <laughs> Great message, my brother. Aren't you proud to see what God is doing with the next generation here at Countryside? That's part of who we are. That's part of what we're called to do is to raise up that ne next generation and to, to hear such a powerful message on love, to love the unlovable, to love people that have a hard time loving you back. That's the love that God wants us to love others with beautiful message. I want to just take a moment before we leave today. This week is Holy Week, so I want to encourage you in your personal time with the Lord, set aside time where you could just focus in this most holy week as we begin to look at what Christ did on that final week before the cross. And on Good Friday, what he did in the sacrifice that he made for us, take that time to spend with you and the Lord and to just celebrate the goodness of God. Next week, we are going to have an amazing service of celebration. Good Friday's when he gave his life, but aren't you glad that Sunday came?
And Father, he came to save us and uh, set us free. I want to let you know some of the things that we're going to have on Easter Sunday. We're going to have a photo wall. Invite your family, those that want to get dressed up. It's going to be a really nice photo wall. We're going to have special coffee all over the place. How many like coffee in here? People are excited about coffee. Get more excited about our risen Savior, okay? I want to encourage everyone to take the invite cards. As you're leaving, they'll have invite cards that you can take. Invite people. We want to fill this place up, but I'm going to ask you one thing too. We spread the services out because we are still going to have every other row roped off. So if it doesn't matter what service to you, I want to encourage you to go to the noon service. Um, the, the middle service is going to be the one that's going to overflow. I just know it. And so if, if it doesn't matter to you, go to the noon service. It's going to be a one-hour service. It's going to be a spectacular celebration. Everyone that leaves is going to get a special gift, a special Easter gift. To mem- it's a memory to remember that day. Also want to let you know that on April the 11th, the following Sunday, um, how many have been in this church for more than 20 years? Wow, quite a few of you. Uh, That's exciting, especially on this side. I guess these are less than 20 years. I'm glad you're here as well. Well, on April the 11th, for those that were here in the 90s, a very special pastor during the 90s is going to be rejoining us that day. He's from Colorado now, but Pastor Jim Tarr is going to be with us to share the word on Sunday, April the 11th. It's so neat to see. He was our interim pastor in 1996 and is a spectacular speaker, wonderful man of God, and it's so neat to see how that's going to come full circle for us and for Pastor Jim. Also on the 11th, how many can feel that God is moving at Countryside? You feel it. You can feel it in worship. You can feel it every Sunday. With Well, we're going to announce some things that God has been doing and setting us up that is an absolute miracle for our church. We're going to share that because it has to do with our future and our vision of what's ahead. So it's going to be great things are ahead. Great things are happening. I'm glad that you're a part of this church. A lot of you signed up for teams. If you haven't, there's still places where you can sign up for teams. It's a great place to serve, and you're part of a wonderful family at Countryside. Can we all stand together? Let me ask you before you go. I wanted to let you know too, Pastor Tim is fully recovered, and he is preaching in a satellite church for us right now. So that's where Pastor Tim is this morning. A lot of people have been asking me. He is well. How many want more of Jesus in every area of your life? Father, you see our hearts. Father, we want more of you which means less of us. So I pray, God, that you would pour your anointing and blessings upon each and every individual in this place, every single person that's watching online. I pray for marriages. I pray for children. Wayward children are going to come home. I pray your anointing and your blessing would go before us, behind us, and all around us. As we walk out of this building today, we're walking into our mission field. Lord, let us be a light. You've called us to be the light of the world. Let your light shine brightly through us as we live out the Great Commission. Lord, we love you. We praise you, and we thank you for who you are. Pour out your blessing upon your people today in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. God bless you, church. We love you so much. Have a wonderful week.